All right, KISS Army, welcome to the KISS FAQ podcast. Thank you for letting us into your head. I hope we don't do any damage. This is a KISS-related podcast by the board for the board. We hope you enjoy. Hello, KISS Army, and welcome to episode 27 of the KISS FAQ podcast. I am your host this week, Lonnie Weishauer, STL KISS on the FAQ message board. And I'm joined this week by, of course, Julian, the admin. And back with us for the first time in a while is music guy, Jay. Gentlemen, how are you today? Good, man. I'm good. Good to see Jay again. Welcome back, dude. Yes, thank, thank you. Good to see you all again. It was, good to uh, have you back. It took, took much longer than I intended, but I've been, I've been a busy boy. Yeah, you've been working with a band, right? Yes, I just I just launched a new band, and it, it turned out to be a much bigger endeavor than I thought it was going to be. So I've been sapped for the last two and a half months. Awesome. That's good, though. All right. Well, before we get started on our topic this week, I want to thank everyone who listened last week um, and joined in on the discussion for the conclusion of our singles discussion. And a couple quick announcements. First... Um, this past week, all of the previous episodes have been uploaded to the Spreaker app. So if you are new to the show and you want to get caught up on some episodes, or if you just want to relive some of the magic that is the Kiss FAQ podcast, <laughs> you can, uh, you can just go in and upload any, ep- and listen to any episode you want to. And Spreaker is really good if you have a okay, a, uh, a Bluetooth on your car or a USB port that's connected to your radio. It comes in crystal clear audio, and it'd be like Julian, Jay, and myself are just sitting right in the car with you, giving some passionate takes on the band. So um, it's really cool if you guys haven't checked that out. Go ahead and check that out. Second, there is a new Facebook page dedicated to the show. Um, it's simply called Kiss FAQ Podcast. So Head over to the Facebook and the search bar, type in Kiss FAQ Podcast. It's real easy to find. So after you get done posting your Kiss grievances on the FAQ message board, <laughs> head over to the Facebook and you can you can check that out as well. And maybe leave some banter over there for us to, to check out. All right. Well, today's topic is Kiss Urban Legends. And I don't think there's another band that has been surrounded by more urban legends throughout their career and kiss and there's quite a few to choose from so guys let's just dive into it um i'm gonna start off and i think that to me the obvious and the biggest urban legend about kiss is the name of the band what the band's name stands for that kiss stands for knights in satan's service and it's a rumor that started back in the 70s and it's a rumor that if you just Google is Kiss Satanic today, you'll find stuff that was written very recently by some nut jobs out there that still think the band <laughs> is um, is worshiping the devil. So, um, you know, there's been talk that Kiss stands for Knights in Satan Service or Kids in Satan Service or or Kings in Satan Service or another one I found was Kids in Your Sister's Skirt. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure that one should be Klein in your sister's skirt. <laughs> yeah, but I thought that was very entertaining. When I saw that. That's really good. <laughs> Somebody has too much time on their the hands. Somebody has too much time on their hands when they came up with that. 
<laughs> but to me, the night, the, the satanic thing, <laughs> James really got a kick out of that. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm good. The, the satanic thing was something that, not that wasn't like brought in, it wasn't like in my house, but my parents always let me listen to whatever I wanted to listen to. Never told me what I could or couldn't listen to. But my mom was never really on board with me listening to the band. She always thought that, and th- I think she had heard that sometime in the 70s or maybe in the early 80s, because around the Creatures Tour, it was really kind of prevalent too. There's some good interviews with Gene and Paul out there around the time of the Creatures Tour of Kiss having satanic ties. And I guess being in the Midwest and, um, you know, seeing a band in the makeup and the black and the chains and, and drooling blood and breathing fire and not knowing anything else about the band than that, that's how things like that got started. Um, before I start talking too long to start rambling about this, you guys, did you guys have any, you guys run into anybody that thought Kiss was satanic or dealt with that in school or anything like that growing up? Yeah, I mean, in school, it wasn't so much that I had a lot of authority figures that had an opinion about KISS because most of my teachers uh, when I was growing up in the 70s were so disconnected from pop culture at that point that uh, they weren't really even aware of who KISS were. But uh, I know that a lot of uh, my classmates, for sure, thought KISS were satanic. And my mother, luckily, was a musician, so... I grew up in a very liberal household as far as music was concerned. So that was never a big issue. But, oh, yeah, I heard the whole Knights and Satan service thing from the, almost from the very beginning. I mean, I remember it as far back as even 76. So it's been around forever. And I still hear it, you know, and it's hilarious. But, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, I think one of the things I, you know, obviously I came to the show late. Uh, you know, my first exposure to Kiss was '79, which uh, which time it was, you know, like Ringling Brothers Circus uh, with all the seven year olds. But by the time I got into the band in '85, you know, most of my friends just thought they were stupid. So, you know, it's like, why are you listening to that shit? Um, you know, we're listening to Motley Crue, man. Well, I'm also listening to Motley Crue, but you know. Kiss to them was more of a joke by that point, and upstate New York. Um, I mean, obviously, that's a little bit you know different than I guess the Midwest. Um, you know, in a lot of the touring research I've done, you see in 78, 77, 76, you know, the evangelicals you know protesting that you know this is running counter to culture, just like they did with Elvis, you know, or Jerry Lee or Little Richard. Shit. So, you know, the band's in good company. The same places that burned the Beatles records. You know, when they made their uh, kind of unfortunate comment were kind of the places that I, I note in newspapers, you know, having people write letters to the editor. Why did, on earth did you put that satanic band on the front page of the newspaper in Podunk, Texas? Well, that's the only interesting thing that had happened in Podunk, Texas. And I'm just using Texas. Please forgive me, Texans, you know, <laughs> as an example, because uh, El Paso and Abilene or whatever, however you correctly pronounce those places. Um, you know, I remember seeing some stuff in newspapers about those places. So for me personally, no, it was just, you know, they were has-beens to most people by then. Um, you know, I guess they were protesting other things. Yeah. Well, I'm getting a little bit of an echo here, but I'm going to go ahead and talk through it. Um, growing up, growing up, um, I, I came from a very Catholic and, and religious household and, the um, 
my mom always had like a disapproving look on her face whenever I brought up Kiss or whenever I was listening to Kiss. And I, I told the story on here before, like the first album I ever had on my own was Analyze, and it was on cassette. And you opened up the cassette, and inside of it was the band like standing over like that, like like stream of fire or whatever. And one day, all of a sudden, my binder jacket for the cassette was gone. I was like, what happened to that? Where's it at? Where's it at? And my mom's like, I don't know what happened to it. I think the dog ate it or something. <laughs> I never saw it again. <laughs> and I was supposed to go see the band then in 92 on the Revenge Tour, and I got in trouble, and I got grounded, and I couldn't go. And I think it was, you know, my mom, just two weeks before it, that kiss came to town. I got in trouble, and like that was like my, my mom was like, "Oh, you're not going to go to that now." But my brother, my older brother, still went. So he was 17, 18, you know, and I was thirteen. You know, it was a little, little easier for her to punish me, and a little harder for her to tell my older brother that that he couldn't go. He went, and he really felt bad for me because he knew how much much it went. It meant to me that I wanted to go to the show, and the, sh- the show came in town in November, and he bought me a shirt at the show and gave it to me for Christmas that year. So I thought that was just really cool, and you know. And, you know, to my mother's chagrin, then I ended up with a kiss shirt, you know, that said revenge, like in blood, looked like on the back, whatever. <laughs> and then I went to a uh, an all-boys Catholic high school, and we always had to wear a uniform. But once a week, once a year, we had Spirit Week. And if you gave, like, a dollar or 50 cents, you could wear, you know, like, the theme of the day. Like, we had Sports Day one day, or we had Spirit Day one day. And one day we had Rockstar Day, so it's like, oh, I'm going to wear my kiss shirt to school. And my mom's like, no, you're not wearing that kiss shirt at the school. And I'm like, well, why? I, I don't understand. the. I don't understand this. Why not? I don't understand your whole thing with the band. And she, the revenge shirt had kiss on the front spelled out like in skulls. And she goes, no, I don't like that. You're, you're not going to wear that to school. That is inappropriate. So I, had to wear, I ended up wearing like a Bon Jovi shirt to school, which was just torture on me all day. I got made fun of so bad for wearing a Bon sure you, Jovi shirt. Sure you don't want to edit that out and say you had to wear a Wasp t-shirt. <laughs> Yeah, I think when it comes to like the protesters, I remember going to a couple of. Sh- I'm trying to think of what tour it was because it was Oakland uh, Coliseum. So that may, may have been 2009. Yeah, 2009, and there were you know protesters outside, but you know, kind of like the Westboro nut jobs. You know, there there are protesters of many different, not just religious, just people protesting, protesters protesting the protesters, you know, and people protesting the sun shining, you know, out, outside. But there were re- religious ones, you know, that, you know, we're going to burn in hell because it kisses Satan, satanic, even in 2009. But I think that's more of, you know, they make their money doing that these days. So it, it's not, I, I wouldn't put that anywhere near the same level as the 70s um, for what original era fans actually went through. No. And I, I ran into the same thing. I saw him in Springfield, Illinois, and uh, in 2011, at the Westboro Baptist Church was actually outside the, the arena protesting the band being there. So, I mean, it, it still continues today. Even, I mean, not as prevalent, I guess, as it was in the 70s, although I have no firsthand experience. But, you know, still the, the fanatics are still out there that, that believe things like that. So. What's really cool, though, is the Peters Brothers, you know, of course, did their interview series cassette. And Mike Brownvold up on Otaku years ago, or, or on one of his other sites, shared you know the, the recording from the cassette that the Peters brothers put out. Um, 
you know, and they actually bootlegged part of a Kiss concert, and I think that's the only snippet from that show. So, you know, so some of the protesters have actually done as a service because here we get another audio source, uh, you know, for 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 a little bit of an obscure show. So that's kind of cool on on that side of things. So keep protesting, keep bootlegging uh, Kiss shows in the name of uh, whomever you worship. <laughs> All right. Um... Well, Julian, you got any you got any Kiss urban legends you want to talk about? Yeah, I, I think the the first one that really jumps into my mind is Beth, and you know how it was. You know, Peter wrote it for his wife. You know, kind of did the rounds in a lot of the papers. Um, you know, in the seventies, you know that it was just like, oh yeah, he, he's writing it about his wife, which of course was not the case. So um, we now. All know, and if you haven't heard the original demo called Beck, you know, go up on YouTube and give it a listen. I mean, number one, I, I severely question how much of the song Peter actually wrote. Um, I, I would love to really know those details. Um, but it was written about one of the Chelsea guys' wife, Becky, purportedly, um, who would call up during practices and say, when are you coming home? No, no, I can't come home right now, babe. You know, kind of like that commercial that they did uh, using Beth. I don't know if anyone's seen that, you know, kind of that domestic situation. Um, so, you know, that's really the only one that pops into my head. You know, they come back to the song, change it around, change the word, because Beck obviously is, is not going to make any sense to anyone. And I don't think Lydia's ever said it's about her. Um, I think she said that it's just the kind of, the feeling of the songs about someone who is away and practicing and all that, you know, working and the sacrifices that the other half makes for, you know, the band. So that's, that's kind of the only urban legend that really jumps out at me. Yeah, that's, that's a good one. I mean, I guess there was a misconception, I guess, in the seventies of what, of what the song was really about. And, but they don't, they don't, yeah. I mean, in the 70s, who had access to all the history and all the books that have come since and, you know, everything instantly available on Wikipedia to know, you know, that you can just click, you know, kiss Beth and all of a sudden you get the song available, free to listen to, the history of the song, uh, you know, just about everything except the copyright splits, you know, available instantaneously. So it, it, I guess it, it kind of indicates that there's very easy to read a lot into songs that you think that these guys are writing songs from the heart, all about their own experiences where a songwriter can write anything that they want. You know, songwriting can be fantasy. It can be based on what happens in your life or it could be what you think happened in someone else's life. So Beth isn't like autobiographical as such. And, and as a kid in the seventies, unless you really did your research, you wouldn't even know that Peter's wife's name is Lydia unless you're, really reading up on things, you know, and you didn't have the internet just to Google things like that. And you'd, oh, well, Beth, that must be, that's obviously Peter's wife's name or something. If you really didn't even know, I mean, obviously you saw Lydia, except the, uh, the people's choice award for it. But unless you really, and, you know, unless you watched that, I mean, it wasn't, wasn't like the people's choice awards were on YouTube or on kiss online the next day or something to see Lydia, except that you would, you know, an average fan or a casual fan just might go on thinking that for a long time, you know, not even knowing, yeah, I mean, when I was a kid, you know, I didn't pay attention to, I would read the liner notes and whatnot on albums, but I wasn't so observant that I knew what those names in brackets next to the song titles meant, I didn't know that meant who wrote it and whatnot, so I just always assumed 
that uh, whoever sung the Kiss song wrote the Kiss song. So when I was a kid and heard Beth for the first time um, and had the Destroyer album, I just assumed it was about, I knew it was Peter, and I just assumed it was about Peter's wife. You know, I, I don't even know if I knew whether Peter was married at that point, but it may have just been a, a maybe just a common misperception uh, rather than a rumor per se. Maybe that's how it started. I don't know. Now, Kiss wanted to be like the Beatles. Did, in the 70s, were they hiding anything about their relationships? You know, like the Beatles um, kind of hid Cynthia, you know, when I she mean, and John I don't got married? I remember hearing a whole lot about significant others until 16 Magazine. That was really when I started to see pictures of Lydia and pictures of Jeanette. And uh, because they would do these, like, it seems like every month there would be some profile page on one of the members of kiss and it would be like their favorite color and you know what they like to eat favorite television shows and so you would see mention of the wives you know but that was really the first time i ever saw anything mentioned about any of the guys having girlfriends or wives or anything like that just talking about the wives quickly um google has a newspaper archive online that's a great source of a lot of things kiss related they've got the village voice on there um and you can go searching i've actually i've done it and i've, I've done some screen caps up on facebook on my pages um lydia and peter show up in there you know peter's trying to sell a pair of drums in 1970 um lydia's advertising looking for a band for her wedding so you know just a, a little bit of a tie-in with the you know the married side you know you, you can find a lot of interesting stuff like that out online um so go go trolling the uh, classified ads from 1970 you know <laughs> and see uh, them trying to find a band that's yeah awesome. that's pretty that's that's interesting that stuff's even available you know you, you mentioned that you know, they didn't say much about wives or girlfriends and that. And I think that was just part of the band's mystique, especially early on um, in the 70s, that they, they didn't want you to know too much about the band. It's just who they were. And I think that goes kind of ties in with a little bit of the satanic thing, too, that, you know, they they didn't talk about it. And they wanted they wanted to, to, to build rumors and that, and you know, because there's no such thing as bad publicity. And I think they lived, they thrived on that for, for quite a while. So... I think the two kind of tie into each other with a little bit with uh, with Beth and, and the Satanic thing in that way. And the Satanic thing again. I mean, Peter, um, the Peter's brother, Gene, does an interview with them, and he's he, by then he is talking. They'd stopped ignoring it, I guess, and he's saying, "We're not going to answer that question. Do we worship uh, Satan? You know, that's none of your business. You know, rather than saying, no, we certainly don't.' So he, you know, maybe they just kind of keep it going, keep it going a bit. It's self-serving to a certain extent, but there is also that it's none of anyone's business. So I, you know, yeah. I kind of respect him from that point of view. When you listen back to those tapes that he's, we're here about having a good time. You know, you're coming to our show to forget all your trouble. This isn't about what or who we worship. So, you know, I always kind of respected him on some of those tapes that I did hear, um, you know, that they, they took the kind of the higher ground. Mm -hmm. well, Jay, you got any, you got any, uh, urban, just urban legends? Oh yeah. Well, my, my very favorite will always be my favorite. I, at this point in their career, I don't think there will ever be uh, any new urban legends. If there are, they're certainly not going to compare to the old classic Kiss beats Sean Cassidy within <laughs> inches of his life. So when I was a kid in elementary school, I just one day when it, there was like a small crew 
of friends that were all Kiss fans, and we sort of banded together because it was very uncool to be a Kiss fan at first in the 70s. Uh, but this, I guess this would have been around 77, so it would have been around the time of the breakthrough, a little after you know Beth and all of that. But uh, so my Kiss buddies, we all get together for lunch at school. We throw on some Kiss songs on the turntable in the classroom. And uh, we're hanging out, and my buddy Mike, who, oh, by the way, just some background, each of my buddies, their alter ego was somebody in Kiss. So I was Ace, even though I could play guitar. Uh, and so anyway, Mike, who was Gene, uh, comes running in and says, dude, you're not going to believe what I heard today. And so he told me the story that Kiss had beat Sean Cassidy up. Well, at this point, Sean Cassidy was kind of a—it was a big deal. He was—I don't think—I uh, don't think the the big singles had dropped yet, but he had done Nancy Drew and uh, the Hardy Boys, and he was well known. He did Nancy and, Drew and the Hardy Boys. <laughs> <laughs> well, it is Hollywood. <laughs> I didn't it's heard that much. <laughs> but uh, but anyway, so there was just this story that uh, that. Sean Cassidy had come to a Kiss concert and made some snide remarks in passing while walking past the members of Kiss. And then the members of Kiss proceeded to assault Sean Cassidy. And by the time the story got to me, it was way further along than, I guess, the origins of the story. Because I did a little bit of background yesterday just to try to get a, a feel for where it might have started. But uh, the original the original story says that they just beat him up. But by the time it got to me, Gene had breathed fire in his face, and Peter shoved a drumstick <laughs> down his throat. I mean, it's very, it's very far fetched. Now, no, the, the second of those is very plausible. Peter ramming a drumstick up down someone's throat. I, you know, the guy who shoots Christmas trees. I, I can see him impaling you. Any, anything's possible for yep. a guy like that. <laughs> Well, in any case, it was just over the top. But being the gullible kid that I was, I had no reason to dispute that. Um, of course, I never saw anything about it in print. I never saw anything about it on television. Obviously, we know that didn't happen. But I would have thought over the years that that somewhere would have been mentioned, even if even if it was just pointing out that it was a complete myth. But there's not a lot of mention of that rumor, but it was huge when I was a kid. So that's my favorite one. I just Googled Sean Cassidy because that's, I guess you have to be very American to know that one. Um, he has an album called Room Service. There's a oh, kiss. Wow. Conne there's I a kiss connection right there. There you go. Awesome. And his, <laughs> and his top U S album also went to number three, just like kisses top wow. chart. Okay. There you go. Enough for Sean Cassidy. <laughs> Too many tie-ins. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's a, that's a good one about Sean Cassidy. I, I I actually hadn't really heard that up until up until recently that 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 was even a that that was even an urban legend or, or a rumor going around for a while. But that is kind of that is kind of funny though. It's kind of funny for your experience that you're in school and this is like you like live that. And that's really kind of that's really funny. Oh, yeah. Um, and there's other ones out there. Um, we've all heard the one, and they even mentioned Detroit Rock City is good. Detroit Rock City, the movie, I know, Julian, you're not a fan of it. But 
it uh, it ties in to the big urban urban legends in the movie. One with the with the mothers protesting the, the satanic rumor, and then they also bring up um, with one of the guys in the band, the, the girl that he's seeing, asks him, "Isn't it true that Gene Simmons got got a uh, a cow's tongue grafted on his own?" Yeah, and and he corrects her, "Oh no, no, he got the little bit of the the skin underneath his tongue clipped off, you know, so that he could stick his tongue out longer." And it kind of it's kind of funny because it kind of goes like with with what what one group of the Kiss fans believe and what another group of the Kiss fan believes, and like neither one of them are even true to begin with. But like oh, yeah. people are just going around thinking that that's that this is absolute truth. That well, one of these has to be true because no one obviously can stick their tongue out like that. So it has to be it has to be true. So yeah, you know that whole cow tongue thing. I don't know if anyone has ever taken the time to Google what a cow tongue looks like. There is no way a cow tongue would even fit in a human mouth. The dude would, it would be impossible for him to speak, to eat. And I knew this growing up because the butcher in uh, my neighborhood just lived like two blocks from my house. And I remember hearing that rumor when I was a kid. And I used to go to the grocery store all the time. And uh, I had seen cow tongue actually in the produce mm-hmm. area of the grocery store and looking at it very conscious of that rumor and thinking there is no way in hell Gene Simmons <laughs> or any other human being could fit a tongue that big. I mean, they're, they're ginormous. So I have no idea that's to me just defies logic. Of course, I guess all, all of them do, but that one seems very obviously not uh, founded in any sort of truth, but yeah, that one's definitely. Who the hell thinks that? Uh, oh, it's a, it must be a cow's tongue. Look at that tongue. I mean, come on, everyone knows it's really a giraffe's tongue. I mean, Jesus. <laughs> that's that's just that's possible. just that's just one of the most disgusting things. I mean, I freaking hate tongue, and you know, seeing that in the store, yeah, no way, forget it, forget it. <laughs> I don't think anyone wants to put cow tongue in their mouth. There's that one. There's there's another good one too about Paul Stanley, who isn't usually the source of a lot of the urban legends and that. But there was a rumor that Paul Stanley had died during the making of Destroyer, mm-hmm. and that Detroit Rock City was actually about his death. You guys remember that at all? Um, I I've heard the one that he died, but I haven't heard that Detroit Rock City. That sounds pretty batshit crazy. And. And and I don't remember all the details about it, but somehow, like the way like the guy's hands on Destroyer are like the whatever kind of shape that they caught their hands in is some kind of symbol referencing Paul's death. I don't know if you heard that. Before. So I heard that. I heard that once, and I forget what how they explained it about each guy saying something about like one guy's waving goodbye, like how you know one guy's like waving goodbye to Paul, and that's that's why he's, that's why Ace's hands up like that. So kind of like people have done over analyzing Abbey Road, yeah. because that was supposed. You know, Paul. I think McCartney's not wearing shoes in that, so you know he must have died. And yeah, okay. <laughs> Less drugs. Drugs are bad. Maybe it's the same guy sitting around thinking it's kiss stands for kids and your sister's skirt that's coming up with something like that. <laughs> <laughs> that is, that is so off the wall. I'm gonna just throw that around in general conversation. Jay, you're going to print up shirts that say kids in your sister's skirt. 
Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, I mean, I don't. I, I vaguely remember the the Paul death um, thing. I don't think that one caught on, maybe quite on the level that some of the other ones did. But I do right. vaguely remember hearing something like that. I know that there was some controversy around Detroit Rock City because up to that point, I had never released, and I, I'm not even sure. Um, whether the general public would agree with me, but back in 76, I had never heard a song about, or a song that has a audible, horrible car crash in it, talking about people getting killed. I mean, maybe I was, maybe I was just sheltered as a child, but that was pretty controversial for me when I was a kid. Mm -hmm. So I could see how that could fire up a lot of imaginations, especially in kids. Yeah. Julian, you got any other urban legends? Yeah, let's move into one of the, I guess, the big ones that's still around. Kiss has sold 100 million albums. Fact? Plausible? Or busted? Oh, God, I can't rip off Mythbusters. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I get called for that too much. Um, And I I think that's probably the biggest myth of the band is their sale, the, the catalog sales. Um, you know, it sounds like a great sound might without any context. Um, and I, I think it's kind of worth exploring somewhat because to me, it doesn't matter whether they've sold a million in their career, 10 million or whatever, you know, because I like the band, I like the music. So sales do not matter to me though, just on a quick tangent, obviously them retaking the lead from Aerosmith for the all time us gold record champs. You know, in the last month is extremely cool. So, Gene, you can start using that one again, and you'll actually be correct this time. Um, (laughs) Because he he was using it for a while after Aerosmith overtook them last time. So, um, I don't see any Aerosmith albums going gold anytime soon. So, who knows? All right. So, back to uh, Kiss Sales. We did a feature on the board, and and Tim hooked up with a guy um, who whose job it is, is basically to access and analyze um, Nielsen SoundScan figures. So he got an up-to-date somewhat audit of the band's SoundScan-era catalog in March 2012. And SoundScan only started in 1991, so this little sample of data, you know, is, what, 21 years at that point. And you add them all up, and... It was roughly 11 million albums sold in the SoundScan era. So that means, I guess, uh, what were they saying in 2012? 90 million? Um, you know, you got to come up with 79 million sold in the rest of the career. Now, like some people, I've got access to certain stuff that gives me a pretty good idea that in the 1970s, the band had only sold or shipped 23 million in the U.S. So... Um, you know, that takes you up through Dynasty and Unmasked. Now, add that to the 12, and you're up to what? What's that? 35. So, still 65 million. So, does anyone think that Kiss sold 65 million albums in the U.S. between 1981 with The Elder and the SoundScan era of 1991? Unlikely. So, Busted. Totally busted. I would I would have to say it's an absolute myth that the band has sold anywhere near 100 million in the world, let alone um, in the U.S. The I mean, uh, other countries like Australia, where they've got all these gold, platinum albums. You know, the levels of sales required to get those in those smaller population countries are so small 
that, yeah, they may have sold four or five million in Australia, if that, you know, which is really good for the size of population, but it's just not going to add up to a hundred million elsewhere. Germany may have been really strong, but there's plenty of sales figures for albums and creatures, lick it up, nowhere near, no chance. So have they sold an extremely large amount of albums? Yeah, but it's a complete myth to me. And I, I think it's completely provable with sales figures that they've not done a hundred million. Not that it matters, because it, it really doesn't. No, but it, it sounds good in interviews, and it sounds good in you know in introducing the band that they sold a hundred million records. But Kiss has never been a big album sales band. They've always been, to me at least, that they gained that they they were just a touring band. That they're the band that you had to go see, whether you were a big fan or just a casual fan. They were always the, the show that you had to go see or you tell your friends, if you are a Kiss fan, you know, you got to come to the show. You, I, well, I know you only know two songs, but you got to come see it anyway type, type of thing. I mean, I, I took my friend to the Kiss Aerosmith show in, in 03 and he knew Detroit Rock City and Rock and Roll Night and that was really about it. He wasn't a big Kiss fan, but, but I told him, you just got to go see it anyway. He's like, all right, it's Aerosmith too, so I'll go with you. And he was just blown away because it's a show. It was, and, that, and to me, that's what Kiss has always been about is, is the live performance more than the album. So does it sound good to say we sold 100 million albums? Sure, it sounds good. Is it true? Julian said probably not. Yeah, and I, let's also look at it. Aerosmith, uh, you know, obviously contemporary band. They've sold a lot more. I'm just looking up quickly. Rocks, 1976. So that's certified, you know, quadruple platinum. Okay, Let's go look at the two albums that Kiss, because Kiss turned churned out the freaking music in the 70s. Their contracts with Casablanca were nuts. I mean, two albums, 25 minutes minimum to be called an album. You know, so so much so that they are running into having to put the grooves between the songs longer on Dress to Kill to stretch out the length of the album or to add on the, uh, you know, Rock and Roll Demons on Destroyer to make the album l longer because it just felt too short. So... Aerosmith is certified in, you know, 39 years for 4 million sales of rocks. You take um, Kiss, and it's double platinum for um, Destroyer, officially, and platinum for Rock and Roll Over, officially. So that's 3 million. That's not that different from Aerosmith in the same era when you consider that, you know, Kiss is basically doing twice the work in the studio. And I, I think the the actual figures for that actually have, you know, Kiss selling more albums for their 1976 than they're actually certified for. As we all know, certification and KISS have never been a very big deal. So, you know, that's just, you know, kind of a battle, the Aerosmith side of things. Yeah, Aerosmith was selling more in the early 90s than KISS was though, with Pump and Permanent Vacation and Get a Grip, though, I think. Yeah, but, you know, they really should be giving a cut of that to uh, Kiss for Desmond Child and, you know, Jim Valance and everyone. All those co-writers that Kiss brought um, into, you know, into the public view in the early 80s. That's all thanks to Kiss. So, Aerosmith owes their career to Kiss. Wow, how about that? Use that as a soundbite. <laughs> <laughs> Jake, you got another, you got another Kiss Urban Legend. Um, you know, the, I I do have a, one other Kiss Urban Legend. Actually, I have two. All right. But this this is kind of counter to uh, Julian because his his is actually, and I didn't look at uh, Urban Legends quite the way that you did, but I appreciate that you have 
you're looking at it more from a uh, pragmatic point of view, which is a very good way of looking at it. Uh, mine is still the silly, ridiculous rumor mill crap. Uh, so I'm sorry to take it back there, but uh, there was a, a rumor that that Gene Simmons had hiccuped while breathing fire and inhaled <laughs> flames into his stomach, requiring a goat's stomach to be put in its place. Man, he's just the freaking barnyard. Goats and cows. <laughs> stomach, cows, tongues. And some of the groupies. Oh, God. Boy, Julian goes with hardcore facts. Jay and I are just spewing bullshit. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, there's just there's so many that are gold. That's I, I would I would have to say that that urban legend is utter tripe. So you either, yeah, you'll either get that one or not. Yeah, it, it's ridiculous. Um, and there was there was one other Gene Simmons killed, um, and I do believe that. One of the offshoots of Roxine magazine back in the uh, mid '70s printed uh, like a four or five page article supporting that story, uh, and you often see that magazine, that particular magazine, on eBay for like you know ten, fifteen bucks. It's not a. I don't think it's entirely dedicated to Kiss, but on the front it says Gene is dead? Question mark has a picture of him. This would have been around 78, 79. Um, so if any of you FAQers out there can recall which magazine that is, it's common. I see it. Uh, but there's a four or five page article an account of an accident the band had while in a van touring, which of course by 78, because would not have been in a van touring, but uh, yeah, and that Gene Simmons was killed in the accident. Unfortunately, I used to have the magazine, but I've misplaced it, so I wasn't able to do the full research on the article. Otherwise, I would read some snippets from it. But, Julian, you may be able to do some creative Googling there and probably pull something up. <laughs> yeah, but my hands are here. I'm not surfing. <laughs> that, was, that was a figment of your imagination that I was looking up Aerosmith. <laughs> He's just looking around the room. <laughs> yeah. Um. That's a good one too, Gene. And there's, a, there's a, most of them are, are focused on Gene, I guess, because he is the most, he's the face of the band. Um, and there's, there's a one too about, about the, about Gene holding up the horns like this. That, that's was that it was a, it was a satanic symbol, <laughs> you know. And you know, and Gene, you know, Gene's count that saying that, oh well, it was my way of saying hello to the crowd by holding on to a guitar pick at the same time, or. You know, but then he saw the way that it, that it looked, and he just thought it looked cool, so he just continued to do it. And he goes back and forth that that he started that, or that Ronnie James Dio started that too. There's... They should have had a death match: Ronnie James Dio versus Gene Simmons for who owns the horns. Right. My money would have been on Dio. I would have bet on Dio. Yeah. I'm a Kiss fan, but I, yep. I think I think Dio deserves the credit for that more than more than Gene. But you can see it on the Love Gun. It's on the Love Gun album that Gene's doing it. So, but I think I think Dio goes that. The Devil Horns on that is that's a pretty good one too. Come on, Ronnie Ronnie Dio was rocking and rolling in 1957. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he wins. Absolutely. 
or the uh, in 1982 there was the the rumor when Kiss went out on tour that their new guitarist was a woman. <laughs> <laughs> that I mean that that that's just too easy, isn't it? That's just too too easy to go yeah, after. You gotta bring that up. <laughs> You know, know they were half right. That's the thing. (laughs) That's still to be determined. We still don't know. Hold on. I'm I'm getting a phone call from Meredith in Department A. (laughs) That's going (laughs) to shut down your website. (laughs) Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, I also heard the same rumor about Ace Frehley at Kiss's peak. Um, Just because there really was a lot of speculation. Ace had very feminine features uh, when you look at look at those classic photos ace had the long sort of straight hair he was real thin especially when you're looking around like the uh, dress to kill through love gun era um you know guy was real thin and until love gun came out none of us had any idea what the guy sounded like so there was no reason to dispute that but i do remember hearing a lot of those rumors uh, back in the day, or maybe it wasn't so much rumors as it was just speculation. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, you guys got any more urban legends? It's kind of hit on them all here. Yeah. Rapid fire pretty quickly. You know, you know, why not Hotter Than Hell? That Hotter Than Hell was designed to look like a Japanese album cover because the band were popular in oh, Japan. That's good. When they hadn't released anything in Japan yet. You know, so totally not it was just a, a nice design element and looked interesting um that probably played off a little bit of the kabuki nature of the the makeup and you know all that because i'm trying to think when the albums came out in japan but it certainly there was certainly no album released there in 74 i think victor picked them up and they came out 75 dress to kill was the first album in japan oh really i believe so that's a that's a really good one about higher than hell because i remember when I bought Hotter Than Hell and I was looking at it and I was like, why is this all in Japan? Japanese. And I asked my brother, I go, why is, why is it all in Japanese? And this is, I bought, and I bought my first purchase of Hotter Than Hell was on CD. So it's at least, you know, 91, 92. And I was like, why is this in Japanese? And my brother goes, oh, oh, they're really big. And they were really big in Japan at the time. You know, it's like, I mean, it just continued on almost 20 years later that, the, that, that misconception that the band was big in Japan, even though they, like you said, they, at the time, they hadn't even stepped foot in Japan or released a thing in Japan. Yeah, they were so big in Japan in 1974 that they didn't visit the country until 1977. <laughs> exactly. You know, so big in Japan that they only visited there in 78 and didn't go back for 10 years. So, yeah, real real massive. Yeah, they were big in Japan, no doubt about it. But, you know, certainly not in 74. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and here's another Japanese or Asian type thing. Ace Frehley. Asian. Wow. You know, because his facial appearance. You know, uh, I, I remember reading that one. You know, that Ace was Asian. No, well, no. And he, honestly, that that would be you know, if, if you weren't uh, if you weren't such a Kiss fan that you, the thing is, if you were able to do a ton of research, you would easily and quickly find out that's bogus. But you know, I remember when I saw the ads for uh, I think it was Laney Amps. Uh, Ace shortly after, I guess this would have been 85 or 86, just before I think the whole Fraley's Comet thing uh, came out. He was doing some ads for that 
wacky guitar of his. Oh, that Washburn? Amps. God. Yeah, the Washburn. And uh, there was one ad where he's not looking directly at the camera. He's kind of looking up. But dude looks Asian. Is that the red jump shoot picture? Yeah. Yeah. Red jump shoot photo. And I was looking he at does. that thinking, I thought I knew everything about Ace at that point until I saw the picture. And it really did make me kind of go, you know, maybe I... Because at that point, there were very few pictures of Ace in circulation without makeup. There had been a few leaks, like the cream shots from 75, 74. And then you had uh, one, I think that was taken around the time of the, uh, I guess it would have been the Creatures of the Night Tour or um, somewhere around Elder. There had been uh, some photos leaked of the band. But I had not seen that many shots of Ace without makeup, so... When I saw that for the first time, I thought, he might be Asian. And he does definitely favor that. So I could see how that could I could see how that could get around. Yeah, and doesn't he have a bit of uh, Native American in his ancestry? I believe, Cherokee. I believe uh-huh. he may have mentioned Cherokee. I don't want to get my tribe wrong there. Um, of course, mixed with German-Dutch. You know, so who, who knows which genes come out. But he, he certainly does have a distinctive appearance, ace. So, yeah, kind it's cool. a very unique look. So you can see where that you can see where that misconception, that rumor, could be started from. Um, well, we are. You guys got anything else, or do you guys want to hit on another topic real quick? While we're well, I don't know. I, I think you're avoiding the biggest myth of all. Did Vinny Vincent save Kiss? <laughs> let's, move, let's move on. Well, let me, I will just say, uh, I will just say, in closing that for those, I, I did a little bit of googling while we've been talking, and that particular magazine that I was referring to is called Rock Magazine. Real generic. It's a Kiss special. It was, uh, it was printed in the summer of 1978, and. It, in big bold letters, oh no, is Gene Simmons dead? And at the bottom it says, all the clues to his death revealed, and the black magic voodoo curse of Kiss. <laughs> so, have at it, Kiss fans. You might find some pretty humorous stuff in there. Yeah, and and, and heck, you know, when we post this up here, um, let us know some of your Kiss urban legends. And the ones, obviously, there's more than what we've just mentioned through our our experience. You know, tell us about the ones you heard about and some of the crazier ones, maybe takes on the ones that we've told you about today. That'd be great to hear other ones. Yeah, what are what are your favorite Kiss Urban Legends, or or which ones did uh, did you deal with as a kid, or still get brought up to you, or you know, what are your personal experiences with with any of them? You know that. People come to you and you're like really ridiculously saying that you know I know that Gene Simmons' tongue is really a cow's tongue or something like that you know or did your parents forbid you to listen to Kiss because they thought they were satanic or or something to that nature also or you know did you get in trouble at school for having Kiss records or something or Gene Simmons forty six hundred women <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, do a mini. Okay. What do you get? Okay. 
I posted a couple of different ideas that we could do because I had a feeling this could um, kind of be kind of be a quick rapid fire type episode. So, um, what was? And we've all have seen the band multiple times. What was the best Kiss concert you ever saw, and why? Because we've all seen them many times, and you know, obviously you get the same set list quite a few times. You know, the same core songs. But what what was the best time you ever saw a band? And for and what reason did this stand out more than any other one? Jay, uh, that that's a little <laughs> no brainer for me. Uh, that would be Tiger Stadium all the way, and I've probably ranted about it on the FAQ a number of times. But that was just a, a very magical show. Um, you know, there was so much speculation before the KISS reunion was announced, and then, of course, then when it was, um, they had the Weenie Roast, which just is sort of, I guess, a, a teaser. So that first official date was such a huge deal. Um, and I lived quite a ways away. I lived in Indiana, but I lived in west-central Indiana, so it was quite a haul to get to Detroit. But I did go, and there was just so much energy in that place, um, even outside the venue. Um when the lights went down and I was actually in the porta potty when the lights went down, which really sucked because <laughs> I had to fly out of the, I had to fly out of the porta potty. You're dropping a deuce when deuce came. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so, uh, so the lights go down. I come flying out of the porta potty and there are helicopters circling overhead and that's an experience in and of itself that I've never had at a live show so that really set sort of the tempo for the entire show and then of course when you hear those those magical words um, and the curtain drops this was a culmination of decades of waiting for my band to get together again and do this one more time so it was very emotional not just for me it's a guy over by me that got so excited he actually hyperventilated passed out and fell out of his chair and his friends had to scoop him up and they ended up like wheeling him away off to the infirmary and i never saw the guy again he was crying uncontrollably but it was it was almost Beatlemania on that level there inside the venue so even though the set list in hindsight wasn't Really as thrilling as it could have been. Um, it was just a spectacle and an amazing part of history. And to have been and participated in that and been there to, to witness it, that was pretty damn magical. So I don't, I don't think there will ever be a show that will that will trump that for me. Absolutely. I mean, no doubt. I mean, that's you talked you talk in Kiss circles about if you could pick one show you could be at. I mean, nine, I mean, not, maybe at nine times out of ten, but. Quite a few times, people are going to say, "Oh, I wish I could have been at Tiger Stadium." Yeah, I mean, where, where were you sitting at for that? I was actually on the lawn, and I was on the I think twenty third row on the lawn, so I wasn't anywhere close to the stage. I mean, I could see everything, but it wasn't right there in my face. Uh, right. I didn't have great seats, but I was about five seats in from the end of the row. So, and I was with my wife, my best friend. And another really good friend of mine at the time. Uh, so yeah, I looked for myself in the in the video for the first shout it out loud, 
and I see my section, but I don't. I can't really make out me. Mm-hmm. That's cool. That, that's definitely. I mean, I'm jealous that you were there for that for sure. So, Julian, what about you? Well, I was trying to fact check myself before I I spoke, and you know, I honestly can't remember which day it was because in, in Northern California for the farewell tour, I mean, I went to Oakland in March. There was then a cluster of three shows, Mountain View, Sacramento, and Concord. I know I didn't go to Concord because I was too beat after the heat in Sacramento. So I think it's Sacramento, um, front row. And it it was just being front row at a KISS concert with the original lineup. Um, you know, whereas my, my first show had obviously been uh, Dodger Stadium, for the for the Psycho Circus tour, I was so far away from the stage, I didn't get to see it. Um, you know, you really couldn't see the band from where I was in any way. And in Sacramento, you know, I, I thought the performance just killed. You were getting the full effect of the, you know, the flames. Um, you know, it, it was all enveloping. If you've never had an opportunity to be up close to the stage, I mean, I'm talking first 20 rows will do it, um, to really feel the heat, to really see the grease paint melting on the guys, the sweat. It's just an incredible experience. I mean, there was some guy with a false leg at Sacramento, so I don't know whether this was a plant, you know, in in a lot of the shows that handed up on stage to get signed in the middle of the... um, of the show so you know here's a fake leg sign my leg dude sign my you know it was just the experience and it was such a crush because obviously everyone else who didn't have tickets wants to be up there as well so it was just the most intense and i mean it was pure distilled kiss water you know drinking at the fountain there um even though it was the farewell tour, so it's not one of the great tours by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, but I was got a close second, and I will say Concord on the Rock the Nation tour, two thousand four. Um, yeah, that, what most people consider a shit tour, but just to be in the audience when all the way started at that show live, a song that. Um, was a deep cut, something that all the diehards beg for and continue to beg for to this day. We were so lucky on that tour to have all these gems being dug out of the, you know, the barrel, you know, love her all I can, tears are falling, you know, but to have those first, you know, chords of all the way come out and just to have the deafening silence of everyone around you going, what the fuck's this? Uh, You know, people... Generally, it, it just proved the whole point of why they don't do it. So, you know, that that's a close second, just because it meant a lot to me personally. Not that I'm a great fan of the song, just that I was getting to hear a song that isn't generally performed was more awesome than it actually was. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I, I saw Kiss at uh, Blaze Fest in, uh, I guess, it was just outside of Chicago back in 95, 94. And uh, they did Going Blind. And nobody yeah. saw that one coming. And I was just like, me and my buddy, same guy that went to the Detroit show with me a couple years later, uh, we were both just looking at each other like, dude, you know, yeah. this is that kind of thing just rarely ever happens. So when it did, it was a big deal. I was on my own, so there was no one to go, dude, too. It's just looking around, <laughs> all these kind of like empty, vacuous stares of, 
I was like, do you really want them to do rock and roll all night now? No, they're doing all the way, man. I'm singing along. They're looking at me like, oh, what the? Look at this guy. Yeah, what a nut job. <laughs> so Related to one of them. Yeah, yeah, and so, you know, something like that can make a crappy tour great. So, a great memory, too. Amen. Yeah. It's a really, it's, I, brought it, I brought it up, but it's a, it's a really tough question. Because I've, I've seen them quite a few times. And, have different, and we all have different memories and different specifics from each other that really stick out that make different shows really like, like just sparkling your memories. But um, first time I saw them was on the reunion tour in 1996. And I still, even though I've sat up front in front row before, um, seen kind of, kind of going back to what Jay was saying, seen the band. It was the first, it was the first time I'd saw him because I got screwed out of seeing him in 92. I didn't see him on their convention tour because it was a hundred bucks and I was 15 years old, hundred bucks in 1995, which is astronomical and you're 15, much less to find a buddy of yours that's also willing to put up a hundred bucks to go do it. Mm-hmm. But, and, and at the time they're not popular at all. Let's go see Kiss for a hundred dollars, guys. Yeah, I'm not going to do that. So, seeing them in 96, finally getting to see them. And, I mean, the the show sold out in a half hour in St. Louis, and we got our tickets maybe at minute twenty five. So we were up top on Ace's side of the stage, on the upper bowl of the arena. And I just I can you know it's it was nineteen years ago, but I can remember just sitting there, and Allison Chains opened up, and I had been the I had been to plenty of concerts before that, and the, as we waited for Kiss the the crowd just got louder and louder and rowdier waiting for the band to come out. And I hadn't experienced that at, at, at a concert before. I mean, I'd seen Metallica, I'd seen Van Halen, I'd seen um, a few other bands before that, but I'd never experienced just a crowd just anticipating the moment the band hit stage before. And that curtain drops and you, you just, I just felt it all throughout me that, this is really happening that I'm not only, not only am I seeing kiss, but I'm seeing Jean Paul, Ace and Peter in makeup and they're going to be on that stage here in just a few minutes. And when they came out and that curtain dropped and it's just like, there they are. It's just, it was the loudest crowd I've ever been a part of at a concert. I mean, the crowd is just going berserk the, from the moment the curtain dropped till the moment the last chord hit of, of Black Diamond because I actually ended that show with Black Diamond not rock and roll night. But um, you said Julian talked about feeling the flames like during a hundred thousand years, and I remember sitting up there and the flame shoot up for a hundred thousand years, and I'm still I'm in the upper bowl and I could feel the flames from up top, and I looked at my brother and I'm like, holy shit. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and, and you know, I have bootlegs of that show and, and, and video of that show, and it just it doesn't do it justice to how amazing it was that night to see them. Kind of just echoing back to what Jay was saying, seeing them on the reunion tour, it's just you know, it's it's unbelievable. And I guess a close second, kind of go back to what Julian was saying, I, I give it a close second too, as I saw him on, I saw him in Sault Ste. Marie in two thousand seven when they did that hit and run tour. Yeah. And that was, it was a great set list that night. They opened with Detroit and they did Deuce, but they also did, you know, All-American Man, which 
I'm not a huge, huge fan of All American Man, but to hear him do that song was incredible. And they did, they only did one song written past 1977 that night. They did Look It Up. That was the only song they did that wasn't 70s. I mean, they did Watching You that night. They did Hotter Than Hell. And they did Come On and Love Me. And when they wanted to Come On and Love Me, like my brother put his arm around me, like, I can't believe this. This is so amazing. Thank you for making me come up here. Because that was a, that's a quite a ways away from St. Louis to go all the way to Sault Ste. Marie to see them. And yeah, I'm, look, I'm looking at the set list right now. Detroit, Deuce, Making Love, All America, Man, Colin, Dr. Love. I mean, what a one, two, three, four, five punch for the beginning of that show. Come on and love me, hotter than hell watching you. Oh, it my just, God. It was just one after another. Yeah. I mean, that's the core. That's the, the real kiss right there. Yeah, when they went in the come on and love me, like, he, actually, my brother put his arm around me, and it's just like, he looked at me, and he goes, we're doing nothing but classics tonight. And I was like, you could tell that they weren't messing around. They were doing nothing but hardcore, old-style stuff. It was one of the most, it was, it's, it's, it stands a close second for the best kiss show I ever saw. Like I said, there you know, there's different shows that just, just point out memories in your mind, just, and I, I could go on forever about, oh, this show was great, too, for this reason. And, and I'm sure, Jay and, and Julian, you could do the same. But Yeah, and, and, I, it, it's it's just you're going to a KISS show. I mean, it's, you know, it's one of those experiences that is special every time. Even for me in these later years, when I went to Vegas last year, and I believe it was the first show. That was the whole purpose of me going there. Um, there was still that special feeling. There, there was a, a feeling of an, an anticipation. We didn't know what we were going to get that night because there hadn't been a casino show yet. So we ha we had an idea from the the shows that had happened kind of earlier that we kind of had a structure. We knew what was coming, but then they drop in Tears Are Falling um, and Open Creatures. I mean, oh my goodness me. Uh, just It's not the same show, obviously, that it was. Um, the age is catching up with these guys, but the excitement and the, the feeling of this is special remains, or this is a KISS show remains. So, you know, for everyone who's gone to the tours throughout the years, have many more years seeing the band than I do, um, you know, I still get the feeling nearly 20 years after first seeing them. So I hope people who saw them longer back than that still get that you know the anticipation the excitement yeah i still i still feel like a kid when i see him and feel like i'm like i'm 17 years old at my first reunion at that reunion show when the lights go out and you hear you want the best you got the best um and I talk about for you seeing seeing kiss and i saw kiss in vegas too and they go in the creatures of the night totally like just a shit your pants moment like oh my God, I can't believe they're playing this because I wanted that for so long. And it's just like a great song that that Kiss had forgotten since since the reunion tour. So. Unless you were in Australia, what was it? Two thousand four. Two thousand and four. Oh my God! If they could put those out as product, we're dorks. So we can just rattle that off. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well. I think that about does it for our favorite KISS shows in our KISS Urban Legend episode. So, you guys can listen to the show on Spreaker, and you can watch the show on YouTube. You can download it at the KISS FAQ. 
Um, leave us some feedback. Let, you, let us know what you think of the show. And go over to our new page on Facebook and check things out over there. And But, of course, check things out on the message board, the FAQ, first and foremost. So, for Julian, for Jay, I am Lonnie Weissar, STL Kiss on the board. Thank you for listening to the Kiss FAQ podcast. You stay classy, Kiss Army. <laughs>